0: Thanks for tuning in to the drive on podcast, where we're focused on giving hope and strength to the entire military community. Whether you're a veteran active duty guard reserve or a family member, this podcast will share inspirational stories and resources that are useful to you. I'm your host, Scott Lucio, and now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Drive On podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Pamela Hall. Dr. Hall is a forensic and clinical psychologist and a subject matter expert in post-traumatic stress disorder. She's on a mission to get the facts about PTSD into the hands of veterans and their families. And Dr. Hall has written a book, uh, PTSD Unplugged, How to Leave the War Behind Us, which is a guidebook for combat survivors and their loved ones. So, welcome to the show, Doctor Hall. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Well, thanks, Scott, for inviting me onto your program. I really appreciate it because, yeah, that is the mission—is to really get the real facts about uh, PTSD into people's hands. So, my background is that uh, I have a couple years on me, and uh, when I when I uh, first got into my Graduate training. It happened to be the year after this diagnosis made it into the diagnostic manual. So prior to that, I had watched my older cousins return from war, uh, return from Vietnam in the seventies, and uh, saw the struggle that our families had with how to be helpful and how to embrace, you know, their their homecoming and and amidst the political turmoil which always kind of comes along with war so when i saw this diagnosis description that fall of my grad, my graduate degree i thought well that, that's what we were looking at that's what we were seeing and uh, so fast forward you know 40 years and uh, ptsd has come in and out of my work um, for the first 20 years quite regularly until I worked at the VA for a doctoral internship in the mid nineties. And so that was the first time I really dug in and uh, started hearing from people about their uh, Vietnam experience in particular. Uh, And it just struck me how, uh, vivid the memories of war were, despite that we were already 20 plus years since they had been deployed. And of course, I knew nothing about words like deployment or MREs or anything like that at that point in time. Uh, I, I knew about beer and alcohol, but I didn't know. There was so much about the military experience and the veteran experience that I had yet to learn. So um, that was a pivotal year for me of recognizing uh, the long-term effects of PTSD, at least the long-term effects without any effective treatment. So from there, I went into private practice. And, and you know, like they say, the long story short is that I worked with people one at a time, trying to be helpful, talking about how they were managing symptoms and yet still seeing that this memory of trauma would come into the room. And once the memory of what had occurred was in the room, there was nothing else that we could talk about except for what happened. And uh, this was before or while, I guess research was being conducted Um, about how to be helpful with those things. So it was really my clients who taught me what was helpful. Um, And, you know, by and large, uh, what was helpful was a smart pacing of a discussion of what happened. Uh, Pacing meaning, you know, you can't bite the whole, you can't chew the whole thing at one time. You have to take bites and Uh, work through each bite of of what happens or what comes up in memory. And so uh, from there, you know, another 15, 20 years went by and and I was happy to see that what I was learning from my clients was what was coming up in research. Um, And so I kept working in this area, seemed to be an area that I could work with very well. Coming around to 2008, um, I was approached by QTC management, which has been a premier disability evaluator for the VA for several decades, a couple decades even before I started working for them. In 2011, uh, we were starting to get a lot of claims from uh, OIF, OEF, combat deployed uh, folks. Uh, as well as uh, sort of the start of the military sexual trauma evaluation process with the VA. And so they asked me to come on more. So I did. And eventually I was working three, four days a week in clinics across the greater Los Angeles area, talking to anywhere between four and six veterans a day, about their experience in war, whether they were having symptoms associated with those experiences, and you know whether there was a service-connected condition, which uh, I know your listeners will be very familiar with what that means. Um, so that I was that person doing a VA uh, psychology benefits examinations uh, for many years, and at this point have done over. 6000 exams so uh yeah just hearing that pattern of symptoms and the long term effect of these symptoms um has really brought me to this point brought me to the point of writing the book but that's a bit of my background um in as short a summary as i can give you for today
0: <laughs> yeah well you know i i I appreciate that background because it it does help kind of set up, you know, who you are, what your, your experience is with all of this. And, um, you know, I, I like that you were saying, um, that the things that you were seeing in your clients were also some of the things that were being validated by some of the research that was going on. And, um, you know, it, and it is a, a big thing to, to take a bite out of, right? Like if you try to, uh, just dive in and take the whole thing down in in one bite, you're you're probably going to end up choking on it, right? Um but it's like the there's a lot of
1: choking went on before we figured out. But they (laughs) by the clients were patient with me as I was we were at the beginning of things. So in a way it was exciting. They wanted relief. Um, And so we learned together what that meant to Mm -hmm. take bite-sized chunks of horrible events and process them a bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and there's a, a saying uh you know how do you eat an elephant and uh, the answer is one bite at a time like yeah it's, it's this big thing yeah. that you you know if you wanna if you wanna eat it you know you're gonna have to do it one bite at a time you can't take yeah. the whole thing down at once and, and in this case the you know the experiences that they've gone through are, are the elephant right so absolutely um, yeah so so I'm I'm someone who has experienced PTSD firsthand in in my own life. And I've I've known other people in my life that I I served with, I deployed with. Um they they've suffered from it as well. Um and personally, I I suffered unnecessarily for a really long time uh, because I never thought that I could be the person who was affected by it for some reason, I don't know why, you know, it's just some, I don't know, maybe it's my ego or whatever. But, but for the longest time, I thought to myself, that's just the things that you hear about in the news. Um, it, it's the thing that happens to other people. And uh, it, it actually wasn't until a few years ago that I was formally diagnosed with with PTSD. And so um, so I guess all of that is is me setting up uh, my, my first set of questions for you. And that's uh, really talking about what PTSD is and, and like who it affects. And how does someone know that they might even have it? What are some of the the warning signs or the, the symptoms that they may experience?
1: Well, just bouncing off of what you said just a minute ago, how long it takes for somebody to come to a realization that something is going on that's outside the normal. So, you know, when it comes to PTSD, really, even including now, the picture we have of PTSD is a severe one. Uh, it's And people don't identify with that severe look at what PTSD is. So, so in, in the book, I take several chapters to talk about what I saw the most frequently occurring in the veterans that I was looking at. No matter what the trauma was, the symptom uh, set or the, the way that it affected their lives uh, was not severe in the sense that they never ended up in the backyard holding a stick, thinking it was a gun. So how could I have PTSD if that's not what I'm doing? So I, I began to learn. Again, you learn so much from the people who are enduring the symptoms, you know. So I learned from them what it looks like to have mild to moderate PTSD. That's kind of how I frame it. So what is that? First, it's the presence of a memory that won't let you go. The past that is a moment in time, frozen in time, this concept of trauma memory. So if you look at our diagnostic manual, which people don't like very much because, you know, but that's what I, that's my filter and, and the diagnosis is, been upgraded and changed over the years such that it makes a whole lot more sense to me now as it is written than it did at the beginning. But the number one criteria of that diagnosis, and this is how you start to wonder whether this is affecting you, is exposure to a situation that is life-threatening, violent, horrific, or all three of those things. You know, so so, those kind of moments in the moment take us out of our whatever our daily routine was like at that point and shoves our brain in a second into survival mode. And so, just even looking at your past uh, for anybody to look at what they've experienced in the military or outside the military, it's these kind of events that shove our brain from calm, peaceful, dealing with, coping with crap in life to all of a sudden fighting for life, fighting for survival, my survival or survival of other people. And so this, you know, we experience these things and not every time we experience these things does this happen. But sometimes in some cases, that survival mode that gets started in the brain doesn't stop. And in these kinds of cases, what we see is that moment in time gets frozen in time and then can be activated by stuff going on around us and push us right back into, let's say, war zone survival mode or assault survival mode or, you know, horrific event survival mode. There's so many accidents that can happen in the military that push people into that brain mode. So the number one thing to look at is, did I have events like that? Are they still bothering me in terms of vivid memories that seem to either come out of nowhere or get activated by sights, sounds, smells around me that eventually become predictable to me and I start avoiding those things. And so then once you recognize that, then you can see how that memory being activated is affecting how you're dealing with what's going on right now. And so it's the what's going on right now that people usually look at as, that's PTSD. But really what's PTSD? Trauma memory and the way the brain is affected by trauma memory, and then how we behave because our brain is activated. Does that make sense, or can I clarify?
0: It does. I, I think it. I think it does. Um, and and I I like that you you described it with the, the that that traumatic memory, the trauma memory, uh, the, um, that, that life or death situation, um, the, the, uh, the violent, horrific situations, right. Because, um, uh, you know, sometimes we're not really sure, like what would cause that, that type of, of behavior. Maybe, um, maybe I never saw someone die right next to me or or i never killed somebody myself personally or i never uh did x y or z um but you could have still um, you know been a part of a situation where um you know it it was there was a potential for for that violence and and you you could have had uh those those situations and so your your brain probably goes into the same Um, that same mode, uh, that survival mode in Mm -hmm. in any of those kind of situations. Right. So um, I I think I I wanted to set that up first for, for the listeners um, because uh, I, I know from my experience, it was one of those things for me where I just never really thought that this could be something that I'm I'm dealing with. Like how could that mm-hmm. happen to me? Right. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. um, you know, I just didn't didn't seem to make sense, but it it can happen to, you know, just about anybody, really. There's nobody's mm-hmm. immune from it. And um you know, so I, I think it's good to kind of have that baseline, to have that understanding of what it is, uh mm-hmm. and and how it, it could be um uh, you know triggered in your your brain during some of these traumatic events. Um, you know, wh- whether you personally experienced the trauma or, or somebody else, or, or you just witnessed it from even from a distance, it, it could still, uh, you know, trigger some of these, these, um, uh, this is the memories.
1: greatest evolution of our understanding of PTSD. I think over time is, and, and it's reflected in, you know, the criteria, if you will. Um, about what could create this kind of trauma memory situation so that now we're, we're seeing there's three big categories. One is direct, you know, it was me and mine who were impacted. The other is I'm watching this happen to other people. So, you know, I just think about the guy or gal standing duty and witnessing You know, uh, so content warning, trigger warning here in this conversation, you know, witnessing an IED explosion outside the camp or down the line in the convoy or going on a rapid response team to an event that occurred at a civilian location or um, or back home. You know, it could be something like this tragic event that happened at the end of hell week. A couple weeks ago, that cost another one of our service members their lives. So, I think once you're sensitized to these ideas, you pay attention when you hear about things that are happening. And and one of the conceptions of uh, misconceptions of the civilian uh, world is that oh maybe PTSD can happen if you're in a combat situation in the military, but not other kinds of situations and even right. even vets and service members make that kind of a of a uh, a judgment or or a mis mis it's misinformation is what it is right because now the third aspect or the th- third big grouping of what can lead to this is if you are in a first responder position where time after time, you're going into crisis events and you manage each one without any trouble. And then all of a sudden there's something that gets you. Mm -hmm. And, and again, it, you can tell it's getting you because it has pushed you into survival management mode. And so now we have these three groupings of trauma events that can occur so that say in the past, Um, we might not have thought of a medic experiencing a PTSD condition because that medic worked on base in, you know, base hospital. Um, And yet what we know is that that medic can be uh, just as vulnerable to this happening. So uh, by by virtue of the treatments that are the the injuries that they witness, the treatments they're involved in providing. So um, yeah, there's a very broad definition. That's also very specific because this injury is, is a rather specific injury to our ability to move in and out of survival mode according to the circumstances around us. And instead this injury pushes us into survival mode or chronically keeps us in survival mode. Um, And yeah, like you said, it doesn't matter who we are. It can happen to a therapist. (laughs) It can happen to the smartest, most resilient person. It can happen in the air force and the coast guard and, you know, all branches of the service. It can happen. um, resiliency has been a watchword in the military for quite some years now and the building of resiliency is certainly important and yet still the most resilient person can suddenly encounter honestly what what you what you guys and gals call you know everybody's got their thing
0: mm-hmm. yeah everybody's yeah.
1: got that thing that's going to bother them
0: yeah for sure and and it it could be like you said it could be anybody and yeah. um even even the people who uh, I've talked to people who have maybe they deployed but they never left the base and they they were that like you're talking about the medic who was was just on the base and they they never went outside the wire they never uh, were were on a patrol or anything like that they were just working on their base and um, that can happen to them too um, mm-hmm. all, all the all that type of stuff can can happen to them uh, just as easily as as someone who's uh, outside the wire, every day, going on patrols and and uh, discovering, you know, IEDs or you know, getting into a firefight, it, it could happen to both of them uh, just as equally. Um, so, so that's it's good that we kind of cleared that up uh, and and got that uh, information out there, right? Um, but specifically, when we're talking about service members um, and and the veterans, we often see that they, uh, are going to let their pride get in the way or their ego, uh, in, in terms of the, the treatment that they, that they need. Um, I think I was probably a, a good, uh, good case of that. Right. Um, <laughs> they, they, people like, like that, people like me, for example, might think that they they just don't need to get help, that they'll be fine on their own. Right. You know, I, I can handle it. I'm, I'm tough. I can deal with this. Yeah. Um, but then their, their, their loved ones might be able to see something that's not quite right. Um, you know, so how can a loved one, a, a family member, a spouse, a child, a, you know, whoever, um, approach these people and let them know, uh, that they think it might be a good idea to go and talk to someone and get some help. What, what, what are some of the ways that these people can uh, help their loved ones get, get the help that they need?
1: Oh, good, good question. And I always have a little bit of trouble shifting to that point of view. You know, but who's going to be persuading somebody to go? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, So I always ask, first thing I ask is, why now? It's been 10 years since you deployed, which, by the way, is kind of in my experience, no research in this, just my experience, that it's 10 years post-deployment before uh, folks report or come for a VA exam. Mm -hmm. So what did it take? for that to happen. And the number one thing they say is my spouse told me to do it, you know? <laughs> well,
0: wow, that sounds awfully familiar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I actually had a guy come plop down in my office and the, this is like one of the stories I tell because it happened several times, but one guy in particular, a Marine, uh, you know, he he plopped down and and he said, well, doc, you know, my wife thinks I got PTSD. I think I'm just an asshole. And uh, so, so I said, you know, promptly, well, I'll be the judge of that, which made us both laugh, you know, quite a lot. So, uh, because agitation is one of those things is like, that's, that's what we think PTSD is. All right, you got your angry bet, that angry bet's got PTSD. Well, not necessarily, he might Or she might just be angry about stuff, but when there's PTSD, anger is always part of it. Because I don't know if you experienced this, like at least the thought, "Why is this happening again? Why can't I get a hold of it?" Right. I haven't had a good night's sleep since two thousand and six. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and and so you know, between this the sleep disturbance itself can account for irritability and short temper, you know, but you combine that with why am I not sleeping? Because I can't get this off of my mind, or because I'm having nightmares about this a couple times a week or a couple times a month. Mm -hmm. Like that's a that's the range. So how what can a spouse do? (laughs) Like before it gets the that ultimatum point? Spouses see the sleep disturbance. So I I think approaching somebody from the aspect of, man, I never see you get a good night's sleep. And besides that, you're interrupting my sleep with all this moving around and talking and, you know, all this uh, getting up to check outside, make sure that everything's square, you know, and you did already lock that door, by the way. You know, I think it's, (laughs) you don't have to go check that door again. Right. (laughs) So. These are the common, These so common. Um, and, and a person feels kind of foolish when it's brought to their attention. So, wow, it's such a dicey situation for spouses to talk to each other about the impact of PTSD. Um, that's a big reason I wrote the book so that I could say, hey, look it, <laughs> find out some things to know uh, about what, PTSD looks like, so that you can uh, set uh, maybe a little more sensitively, a little less, I think spouses and families are kind of scared of this too.
0: Yeah.
1: I probably hedged that way too much. but I think everybody's (laughs) scared of this. And I think we're going to be scared of this until we understand it.
0: Well, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is that it's, I mean, we're all scared of the things that we're not familiar with, the fear of the unknown, right? Like yeah. that's, that's a normal thing. And uh, you know, until we have a better understanding uh, on, on an individual basis on uh, you know, what PTSD is and and how it affects people. Um, it, it is sort of a scary topic. I, I know when I, I first reached out for, for help, it was, it was this big scary thing that I, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what the treatment was going to look like. I didn't know if I was going to be, you know, hauled away to some padded room somewhere, and I, I didn't have a clue what I yeah. was walking myself into right. with with all of this. And, <laughs> uh, you know, fortunately for anyone out there listening, there's no padded rooms involved. I, I was, you know, <laughs> There
1: are no padded rooms involved.
0: <laughs> right, I have six
1: thousand so. exams. I never with anybody in a padded room and 30 years before that or you know the third whatever all this that sounds like a long time but I'll tell you I have actually put my career into this sort of by accident and then on purpose and honestly I think the other thing people are really afraid of is you can't get better from it so so why even address it but I'll if People didn't get better from this. I'd actually done something else with my entire life. So, uh, yeah, I've seen people get better. Uh, Getting better means nightmares fewer and farther between. It means being able to tolerate going to sporting events again tolerate going to well mall i don't know if anybody can really end up tolerating going to the mall but you know you could if if malls are your thing then you know you could tolerate that too uh i'm more of a skip in buy it and get out kind of a shopper
0: yeah i'm more of an amazon kind of guy but you know yeah i I get the point Yeah.
1: yeah yeah i do all my grocery shopping remotely now I'm not afraid of the delivery person. (laughs) But yeah, you know, being able to get out of the house without having to plan every step. uh, You know, these are some things, what recovery looks like. So I also cover that in this book. What does recovery look like? So that when a family member, a parent... Uh, talks to their service member about what they're seeing. Look, this thing is getting in your way, man. This mm. is this is keeping you from being the dad you want to be. This is keeping you from playing soccer on a soccer field, man. You know, this is like yeah. uh, making you look over your shoulder um, at every restaurant. You know, so just kind of, again, with the pride bit, I think it's very hard to say to somebody, See the effect on you, and you know what? You can recover from this. Uh, That that was a big reason I wrote the book was to be able to say, look, people do recover from this. It is a myth that people don't recover. The people who don't recover, why we have the myth, is because we have not had effective treatment until really recently, you know. And Mm -hmm. so we just have seen people go on and on and on with this um, because we haven't quite known what to do with it in an effective way across all of the same mental health profession. Um, you know, but you know, that gets into another topic. I can so easily go down um, sidebars on this topic cause I like it so much. And I'm I was sure. just about to talk about all the other ways that you can address this stuff without ever talking to a therapist. So,
0: right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I do think it's important <clears throat> that the, the, the family members of the loved ones who are out there, maybe it's not even family members could be neighbors, coworkers, friends, whatever, yeah. um, that they, they know that there's something that they can do to help, uh, you know, kind of get them in the right direction to, um, to nudge them towards uh, getting some help. Um, uh, but there, there are steps, like you were saying, there are some steps that, that people can take to go down this path of, of recovery. Um, and, it is something that is something it is something that you can recover from i should say um and uh but the thing is i think i you know i mentioned amazon before we live in this on demand world where you know right. you, you order something online and then like the next morning it's sitting on your doorstep and um you know you want to watch a show you you pull up netflix and and it's there it, you just watch it um and I, I think that we've gotten spoiled in a way that we sort of expect there to be this magic wand that you can just wave over someone and then magically just have their PTSD disappear and life is good. And everyone goes on and lives yeah. a nice, happy life. Right. Um, but that's not the case. There's no magic wand that you can wave. I, and if there was, you'd be doing it all the time and and you'd be, uh, you know, rich beyond, you know, <laughs> <your> <laughs> wildest dreams, right? Because we'd all yeah. want that. We'd all be, you know, yeah. knocking on, knocking down your door, trying to, and trying to get it you know
1: that. what, in all these years, I have heard things come and go over and over again about yeah. this is the quick way. This is the quick way to deal with this, you know, in, even within but, my profession, in 12 easy sessions, you can overcome PTSD. No, you can't.
0: Right. Right, and because it, yeah. it takes commitment, right, and it takes yeah. openness and honesty with the, the person that you're you're speaking with. Um, so, what does a successful plan look like? what What level of commitment is involved? what What do can people expect to uh, you know walk into to their first session and uh, you know go through this this treatment process? and And what what happens after those twelve sessions? Uh, how do they continue to work on themselves?
1: Right. Well, now I'm going to have to sit up, uh, you know, because uh, it, it's a heck of a journey for people. I I love what's been happening since I launched the book, like about uh, six is Memorial day last year that we launched this book. And I love what's been happening because I've been having conversations with, you know, people like you, Scott, and uh, other uh, veterans. And um, this question is, always the question, the first session, people are, how long is this going to take? How long is this going to take? And so my answer to them became, ask me again in six months. And because in six months, we'll know, we'll know whether six months was helpful, you know, and by helpful, I mean, did it make these memories be less Intrusive? Did you experience less anxiety or nervousness or even fear about safety in public places? In six months, we're going to know um, what the pace is going to be of how you're going to recover because you are going to recover if you stick to it. Recently, it has occurred to me that uh, recovering from PTSD is a lot like engaging in a a physical, um, a personal training plan.
0: How yeah, long does it, it
1: take to get abs, Scott? How long? Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, and, and that, that's one of those things, I, I hate the answer, but it depends is the answer. Um, <laughs> it, you know, I, I, because it depends on where you're starting from. You know, you want to use that physical example of how long does it take to get abs? Well, yeah. if you... You know, have this big beer belly, and and that's where you're starting from. Well, it's going to take a little bit longer than the person who's already kind of kind of uh, you know thin, but not, doesn't have that that definition there, right? Right, um, right. It's, it's just going to going to depend. Each person's going to be different, and I I like that analogy because um, because it's true. It, the amount of effort that you put into it is also going to affect how. Yeah. How long yeah. it takes, right? The kind um, of
1: skills it, you learn, the, you know, your willingness to practice those skills on a daily basis. Or, like, you know, my personal trainer says three days a week, three days a week, you know, right. You have to do this stuff three days a week. I'm like, yeah, I still don't think I'm going to get abs, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I might take five, six, seven days a week. And there's kind of a funny way that, physical strength is a really good analogy to say um, the strength to push back against how a trauma memory wants you to feel. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. Folks who have PTSD know what that means. Other people Mm -hmm. are like, I don't get that. You know, because they don't have the kind of memory that keeps haunting them. You know, they don't have the kind of memory that wants to push them into feeling sad or push them into feeling careful or, you know, so the daily practice. Okay. So what is the first session is like a first session is about, um, where are you in this process? Do you know how to name feelings? Oh, that is a big thing for service members who don't want to talk about their feelings in the first place. Now I'm going to suddenly teach you how to talk about feelings. That could take
0: a while. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you're, you're absolutely right with that because, uh, you know, for the longest time, we're, we're basically told, okay, like just stuff down those feelings and, you know, yeah. just suck it up and, and do your job. And yeah. that's, that was the message that we got for all these years. And, and now we're sitting down with someone who's saying, oh, let's open this, this package up and see what kind of feelings are inside. It's, <laughs> like, I don't know if you yeah, want to open no Pandora's box you. right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it is Pandora's box, you know, because it does fly out and right. things get worse before they get better. This they is do. the uncomfortable truth, you know, saying the quiet things out loud. Truthfully, this you know first month, two months, three months, look, it could be a while. The first quote unquote 12 evidence-based treatment appointments could just be all about opening the box mm-hmm. and just seeing what's in there. And and it's tough because then you not only learn what your emotions are like, now you have to have other ways to deal with them than uh well, you have to keep working out. You know, you have to keep doing the healthy practices that you have. Um, But you have to, you have to eat well, you know, good sleep hygiene. I mean, we start talking about the things that are important to physical health. They're also important to our emotional health and to recovery from mental, from from PTSD. So a person like myself might say, I'm going to now teach you meditation and a person like yourself might be meta who (laughs) (laughs) I don't really sit still for five minutes, let alone, you know, 30 minutes or, you know, visual imagery. What the heck does that mean? You know? And so really knowing your veteran population, knowing your military population so important. Yeah. A big shift happened for me when I understood the kinds of routines and rituals that you all learn to shoot straight Mm -hmm. on the shooting range, believe it or not. Those kind of skills you learn to focus in to be able to shoot straight are the same kind of skills you can apply to refocusing when a trauma memory is bothering you.
0: You know, I had never really considered that until just uh, like two seconds yeah. ago when you mentioned that. Yeah. But uh, you're absolutely right. When when you're learning to shoot, when when you're shooting at any point, there's a whole lot that goes into it. It's not like Hollywood movies where you just, you know. With pull it. the trigger yeah. and, and yeah. just spray yeah. and pray. There he you know, yeah, and like stuff shooting you hit Shooting and, everything, and you magically <laughs> yeah. hit him right? There's a lot that goes into it. You 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 focus on your breathing, your your the sight picture, you're you're focused on on everything that you're doing. You're you're in that moment, and anything else that's going on is like just irrelevant. You push that out, you, you focus on this one thing here and yeah. now in this moment, yeah. And and that—that's like a really good way to think about it—is—is is that that level of focus that you had when you were first learning to shoot a gun, uh, when you when you're sitting on that range yeah. and you're you're looking at that target out in the distance, and you have the um, you know your sight picture, your your breathing, and all, all the mechanics. What's like the first pull, thing you do? Right? You, yeah, deep breath, you breathe. Yeah,
1: you stop thinking about the conflict with the spouse you stop thinking about anything that's not happening on the range yeah and you just focus in. so yeah translating skills you already have into skills for pushing back trauma memory i think is the ticket and uh it's certainly something that has been useful to a lot of a lot of service members or you know I, a lot what's a lot you know but at least the people that i've talked to you know sure. it was a while before i came up with that so at first i just had to know how to respond to the question are you a veteran which is no I, i'm not i'm not i've been in the rear way behind the gear way back home <laughs> all of my life right. appreciating the work you you all do so you know my thank you for your services Very well-informed. And, uh, you know, but, but now that I know veteran... So saying this from the perspective of mental health providers, the challenge is to develop veteran competencies and military service person competencies and being unafraid of crossing over skills that were useful in war or training to this battle against trauma memory, because we want you guys to come back home. That's what this is all about, how to leave the the war behind us. So particularly, I focus on combat, but I, you know, so I'll just leave it at that for now. It's it's quite nuanced when you look at other kinds of trauma, like, uh, you know, assault-related trauma. There's other ways to look at this but honestly for the veteran population some of those they already got those skills from the training so the crossover and being able to help people cross those skills over back to physical physical training personal training and then doing it consistently like learning like disciplining yourself to address trauma memory in specific ways that's that's what leads to recovery and not just management right. of symptoms.
0: Yeah, right. I'd like to give you the opportunity to uh, talk a little bit more about your book. Yeah, uh, you, know, you mentioned a, a couple of times throughout the this uh, interview, and I want I want you to be able to uh, give us a little bit more information about the book PTSD Unplugged. Um, you know what what sort of resources are available in the book? Uh, what do you hope that readers are going to take away from it and uh and, and everything like that what and, and i believe you said uh earlier before we started recording that you had a, a part of the book that you wanted to to read yeah. you know here and and uh you know give you the opportunity to do all of that now if if uh, if you still want to that's <laughs> Very that's cool. all good yeah yeah yeah
1: well I'll say look i wrote I never wanted to write a book in my entire life actually um but what was happening was what it was 2019. And, um, I had been doing this since 2008 and I was talking to OIF, OEF vets who were internet savvy and, or maybe not. I mean, actually a lot of vets don't really care about any kind of social media or whatnot. Yeah, I, I get that too, but still, you know, how to look up if you got, a. Temperature and sweating and you know, now we're looking that up to see whether we got COVID, you know, or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do I have the symptoms? And uh, this is not something that veterans were looking up. Okay. I just started asking, have you ever looked this up online? You know, like you can actually Google evidence-based treatments for PTSD. You can Google the or you can look up the National Center for PTSD, which is a VA organization. So I started saying these things to veterans over and over again and going home and complaining that (laughs) even our young vets are not investigating what this is. To the point where my friends and family were like, it is time for you to write a book. So I got talked into it. And it was it was the best process for me. It was the best thing for me to do. Um, It took me about six months to write the book, and then uh, a year to, and then COVID hit, and then and then we edited the book. So the first thing I want to say about the book is it's this thin. Let me get this. That's how thick it is in written form. All right.
0: Pretty yeah. Now on. Right. All
1: right. My son, who is like my best fan and best critic told me it took him three and a half hours to read it. Okay. So I'm like, okay, good. That's good. You know, the font is a nice size. (laughs) And it starts at the beginning saying why I wrote the book, which was just to get all the information in one place in a vet friendly way. You know, so this is the conversations I had with 6,000 vets in one book. All right, starting with, uh, and I also collaborated with a a person I met along the way whose grandfather was a paratrooper uh, at Normandy. So it starts with her depiction of her relationship and rapport with her grandfather um, and how his PTSD symptoms, which of course weren't recognized as such, but led to such alienation in his family. So the the goal in writing this book is to inform vets and their family members about PTSD, to reduce the alienation, to lower the stigma, to say to our veterans that, look it, we can see it. You can see it. Let's do something about it. So then uh, this is the part I was mentioning earlier that when I finally get down to it, it's chapter two in the book. PTSD, what it is and what it isn't. And it starts off with violence leaves more than just a memory. The most important thing to know about PTSD is what has been happening in your brain since you experienced that life-threatening event. While your thoughts and feelings about that day grab your attention, trauma memory is what's been grabbing your brain. Trauma memory, that horrible moment in time that was frozen in time, violent, life-threatening events impact your brain like a sledgehammer. They demand that you shift into self-protective survival mode. Then this, a neuropsychological bubble forms. Now, so this is what I liked about writing this book, is I could use fancy words. So a neuropsychological bubble forms in the amygdala. It's a part of our brain that tells the rest of our brain what's happening. It pulls in the sight, sound, smells, tastes, things we feel, fears of the moment, and puts them in a bubble. We don't know why this happens, but that's trauma memory. And what we know is that it happens at least 20% of the time. So that uh, 20% of the time we experience a trauma event, or let's say 20% of combat vets are actually already diagnosed with PTSD. 500,000 of you guys a lot and every guy who comes in tells me about two or three guys and gals that they know and not just guys it's also gals but you know such a heavy percentage of of men who are affected this way from uh combat so I often like you know revert to saying guys a lot but it's men and women um and uh so you just multiply that out and that's like a million and a half you know, that's a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and
1: our, our suicide rate is horrible. So why did I write the book? I wrote the book because the war is haunting our service members as it as war has always haunted warriors. Always. Right. You know, it's just we're in a situation right now in our culture where instead of our communities gathering around and embracing that warrior, we're telling that warrior, you have a medical condition, go see a doctor about it. Like, you know, you went to war for me, come tell me about it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so when you get to chapter nine, you've learned enough about PTSD, that if a warrior comes to you, you, you'll know what's going on you'll have some idea of what to say or more importantly, what not to say, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, this is such a uniquely different thing that the common ways that we comfort people um, actually make people feel less like talking. um, and, And really it's just more valuable to listen and to repeat the message over and over again Uh, I understand why that keeps bothering you. I get it. (laughs) I think that might keep bothering me too. So there's also, you know, there's some specific tools that we talk about in the book about how to have good conversations with people about not just war, but other kinds of trauma events. And uh, again, this process of being out in social media and talking to so many people we've got a website, PTSD Unplugged. I have a blog on there that I get to keep writing now. I'm actually happier about writing blogs than I was about writing the book. So so we've got some tools out there. I've got a tool on there um, that is about talking about or writing about what happened in a way that is helpful. Um, You know, not just blurting it out and then tossing back a couple shots but right. you know, it's something that's
0: helpful yeah 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 because because uh, that that tossing back a couple shots is probably uh, not the direction that you want people going um you know with <laughs> with their their uh, recovery process and everything yeah. and, um you know yeah. we we do a great job at, at doing that in the military where we, we kind of cover up some of the the uh the pain and, and everything with with things like alcohol and, and other substances and stuff. But um, you know, it's sometimes the the pain you need to kind of face it head on and 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 uh you know really uh, address the situation, not just mask it with uh, you know, drugs or alcohol or or whatever. Um, you know, other Uh, risky behaviors and and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I, I really do appreciate the fact that you, uh, first off put this book together, um, and, and are continuing to help the veterans who are, are suffering with, with all of this, but, um, but really having the book there for, for the people, the family members who might, might not know really what's going on with their, their loved one, um, you know, that they can, they can pick up this book and, and get a better understanding. And like you said, in, in a few hours, you can read this book and, uh, you know, get a better understanding of what's going on with your loved one and, uh, you know, how you might be able to help them in a constructive way. Um, And, uh, you know, if you're not able to necessarily help them uh, yourself, but you can at least uh, nudge them in the right direction, you know, Mm -hmm. get them to to seek the treatment and and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and this gives you a better idea. you know, is it even PTSD that that you're talking about with this person? Right. But, but at least you you can, you can try to understand a little bit more of what's going on, uh, with, with the person. So, um, with that, um, I think that's a a good place to to wrap this one up. But um, it, it has been a pleasure speaking with you uh, today Thanks, about yeah. all of this. Yeah. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and share uh, your book and your background and uh, you know everything else about uh, PTSD. It's a really important topic that I'm I'm really excited that, that you were able to come on and, and share, uh, about this. Um, I know you mentioned your website, the PTSDUnplugged unplugged, uh, .com, but, um, is there, uh, any, any place specifically where people can go to, uh, get in touch with you and get a copy of, of your book?
1: Oh yeah. I should probably say that I'm a terrible bookseller. Um, <laughs> we're on Amazon. Uh, So we're in Kindle and hardback on Amazon. You can also find us on Barnes and Noble and some of the other um, ebook formats. Uh, We, we first launched through Smashwords, which got us out to four or five uh, different uh, platforms. People use nook and uh, Moby and other things like that. So that's where you can find the book. If you, if you go to, PTSDUnplugged.com. There's a buy the book, plug, you know, tab that takes you to Amazon. We're not yet in uh, in audiobook format, but it's on the horizon. Let's say by Excellent. by summer, maybe sooner. You know, we'll we'll get the audiobook together. Um, so that's there, and then the extra resources on PTSDUnplugged.com uh, were We have a resource page that we call Stronger Together. Um, has the national resources that people may or may not be familiar with. Um, And we're trying to build a a mom and pop type resource, uh, links there for boot camps and uh, emotional support animals. Um, There's a guy who does PTSD scuba, uh, scuba recovery. So, So, for free for vets, you can go wow. scuba dive for a couple of weeks, and they're having some great success because this is what takes you out of the memory: is getting you into the present. You know, getting you out of the past, getting you anchored in the present, um, and uh, you can recover from this. It takes longer than anybody wants it to take. Uh, it takes more work than anybody wants it to take, but right, anything worth doing. It's worth getting getting into,
0: right? Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's it does take take time, but it, it's worth it in the long run. Uh, when definitely. when you start seeing the the results and and having the uh, you know the benefits uh, you know in your life um, and and in your family's life and and helping out along the way, it's Absolutely. it's definitely worth worth the effort. So yeah, you
1: deserve um, to come home from all this crap that you experienced, <laughs> and we want you to. So <laughs> yeah.
0: Thanks for sharing
1: your platform, Scott. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. And I, I, again, uh, thank you for, for joining me. Uh, Thanks for, for coming on the show.
1: Sure.
0: Thanks for listening to the drive on podcast. If you want to check out more episodes or learn more about the show, you can visit our website, driveonpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at drive on podcast.